Good morning. Well, I am up here today because Dan is out, and Dell is out, and Bill was in a, one of the life groups meetings, and so basically I was the last straw this morning. So Dan was like, hey, can you please come up and teach on this day because I really need it. So I am back up again. I'm excited to be up here. And we've been going through a series over the past couple of weeks called Faith No Matter What. And what we have been seeing in this journey is we've been taking a look into 1 Peter. And right now, Peter is writing in a time period when these believers are experiencing severe persecution. They have an emperor in Rome known as Nero. And he has set out on his life mission to go and kill believers. And so Peter is living in this Roman Empire. He's experiencing this right now. And so he's offering up this book as an encouragement to the believers, saying, hey, hold on. I know right now it doesn't seem like a good time, but hold your faith. And so that's where we've been at for the past couple of weeks. And so we've been answering some different questions along the way. Why learn from Peter? Why should I keep believing? Why should I focus? Or why... What should I focus on? And then why today is why should I keep, uh, why should I be different? And so in hopes of answering that question today, I want to start off first with a story. So for me, some of you may or may not know this, I am an avid outdoors person. Like everything that's outdoors, I am into it. So especially hiking, biking, running, anything, you name it, that's me. So... It was really great because I married someone who was from Washington State, so Pacific Northwest, a lot of different hiking experiences. So we were out in the mountains, and this is my wife, Bree, and we were picking some different trails to go on over the summer that we were living out there, and one particular trail that we chose was called Church Mountain. Now, I know many of you are not familiar with this mountain, since so it starts with an elevation gain from where you start at the trailhead up to the top. It's 3,700 feet of elevation. So it's very quick in how fast you go up. It's 8.2 miles long, and there are 18 switchbacks in order to get up to the top of this mountain. And so we read all this stuff, and it sounds great. Like you read it on your phone, you're like, okay, this is doable. We can do this. And so we get out to the trail, and as you can see here, we're very excited. We're, we're like, all right, we're going to do it today. And so we start out on the trail, and it begins with the, how low we were in elevation, and we begin in the wood line. So we're just going through the woods for one straight path, and then you get over to about the end of that path, and it changes direction and goes back the same route that you just came, just like five or ten feet higher. And so you continue on this process for 18 different times. And I'll tell you, the smile that we have here at the beginning of the picture wasn't quite the same smile as we continued on that trail in the switchbacks. It got to the point where I was kind of like, okay, we can do this. We've got this. Continue on. We can keep going. And it quickly, my excitement turned to a moment where I was like in suffering. <laughs> it felt like suffering in that moment. And so I share that story this morning because what I hope, as I said, to answer is why should I be different? 
Why in a culture that we live in that is so opposed to Christianity, why, why be different? And so what I hope to show today is the major truth is that you are actually chosen and you are loved by God. And so that is why you should be different. So in order to answer this question today, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6. And I believe today, looking at this, that there are three major truths that Peter's going to lay out for us. And the first one is that you have a firm foundation when you know Christ. Let me say that again. You have a firm foundation when you know Christ. Go ahead and look at verses 4 through 6 with me, and it says this, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. See, I love the first part of this because Peter starts by saying, you are coming to Christ. He's this cornerstone. He's the one that men rejected, but he was chosen by God. And Peter is not the first one to say this. Actually, all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, it's been speaking of this one who is coming, who is this cornerstone. Psalm 118, Isaiah 8, Zechariah 3, Matthew 21, Acts 4, Romans 9, all of them are speaking of this importance of Christ being this cornerstone. So then this makes me ask the question, why does this cornerstone matter? Why is it's so important that Jesus is the cornerstone. And so in order to answer that, I think we need to understand some construction. So a builder will start off with a concept. He's starting to dream up what the house will look like. And so maybe, maybe for example, this kind of house. He's going, okay, I want this kind of farmhouse feel to it. But then his next step in the process is he actually needs to sit down and write up some blueprints. He needs to know how this house is going to be built from the bare bones. But then the next step, we would often say, is where they're going to lay the actual foundation. They're going to start off with some concrete or maybe some cinder blocks, and they're going to build up from there. Well, that's great for our time period. But in the time period that Peter is writing, there is a different way that the foundation was built. It wasn't built out of concrete. Rather, it was built out of stones. So they would go and they would look for different types of stones and they would then start to assemble the foundation. But it all began with them looking for the cornerstone. They would start to look for the rock that everything would begin off of. See, the, the cornerstone is what sets up everything that's to follow in the building process. It keeps walls straight. It's the thing that keeps the wall strong so that when you're starting to put more of the house together, the foundation doesn't fall apart. It allows the builder in the end process 
to know that he can have confidence, my house isn't going to fall down as soon as I'm finished with it. Rather, he knows that this is going to continue to stay strong for years and decades forward. So that's why the the cornerstone is so important for the foundation, so important for the builder to find and make sure that it's right. And then what I love about this is that Peter understands this. I don't know if he had any construction background, but he knows that the cornerstone is important for the foundation. So the cornerstone, honestly, the reason that Jesus is identified as this is that he is the perfect alignment between God and man. He is the thing that allows us to build a life upon him. And he keeps us solid in a world that's so unstable. You know, I think about the culture that we live in today and how over the past year even, things went south really fast. The culture felt like everything was upside down all of a sudden. And yet, as a believer, you have a firm foundation that keeps you strong no matter what circumstance you face, no matter what situation you experience, no matter what suffering you may have to endure. But then Peter transitions for us. So he's saying, you are coming to Christ, you are coming to this cornerstone But then he says, while Christ is this living cornerstone, we actually have a part to play in the process. That it's not just Christ is the cornerstone, but actually you are a stone in the building process as well. You're this living stone that he identifies and that you're building up this spiritual temple. See, God is using each one of you who has come to know Christ as a stone that creates this spiritual temple, and so each of you is crucial in making up that spiritual temple. Just as a builder would go in the process and start laying out these, in the stones in the foundation, he wouldn't all of a sudden go, you know what, I don't think I need one right here, and he just yanks it out and then just kind of sets that aside and leaves it. Because he would realize that as soon as he starts building, that part of the foundation would collapse and it would take the house down. And in the same way, I think Peter shows us that we as believers are all crucial, every single one of us, in building the spiritual temple. Each one of us helps the foundation of the spiritual community be strong. So all of you are important in the process of building up Christ's church. So then the question is, how does a Christian be this living stone? Peter answers this, I think, in the second part of verse 5. He says that we are actually these holy priests who are bringing this spiritual like, sacrifice to God. And I read that and I start thinking about how it's me just coming to God and saying, here I am, God. Take me, use me as you see fit. I, I offer up everything in my life to you so that you can use it. And then finally, Peter offers this encouragement. He says that if we trust in Jesus as our cornerstone, we will never be disgraced. You know, I was last Sunday teaching a message with our students here at the church, and we were talking about sharing your love of Jesus with the world. And so we we broke into our small groups, and I sat down with all these guys, and I said, okay, guys, what is the hardest part 
Or what is the one thing that holds you back from wanting to share your faith with others? And they thought about it. And then finally the guys started answering. They said, you know, I think it's, it's the fear of rejection. The fact that there's people that I care about that I want to share Jesus with, but I'm fearful that if I do share Jesus, now all of a sudden my relationship with them is ended. The fear of rejection. The fear of humiliation. And yet, here, Peter is offering this encouragement because he understands that even back in that time period, fear was still present for the church. And for them, it was very intense. Because if you shared your faith, most likely you were going to be burned alive or have animals eat you. And like all of these horrific things is what they would probably experience if they shared their faith. And so Peter says, you know, even though these are the things that you are maybe fearful of, be encouraged of the fact that you are never going to be disgraced by Jesus if you live out your faith for me. This story hits, this like truth hits very close to home for me. Because I actually was in a college class at a uh, community college in the area, and during that class time, the professor realized that I was a Christian. And he kind of set out for the rest of that semester, his ambition was to just destroy Christianity. And for me, I came into each one of those class periods knowing that in some way this professor was going to ridicule me, ridicule my faith, and it was extremely hard in each one of those situations to walk into that classroom. But I will tell you, when you have a firm foundation on which your life can be built, no matter what type of persecution, hardship comes your way, you have that foundation to fall back on. And so for me, class period after class period, I would go in and this professor would just really dig into why he believed that Christianity was false. And I was able to come into each class period and withstand it because of Christ, because of his firm foundation, because of him being the cornerstone. And so the question that I I present that story because I want to ask the question, how has Christ been your cornerstone? Is Christ your cornerstone? And then... I think this leads us into the second truth that Peter asks. Are there benefits of us actually being these living stones for Christ's spiritual temple? Second truth I think that Peter identifies for us is not only do we have this firm foundation, but then also we have this new identity when we come to know who Christ is. Verses 7 through 10 says this. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has actually now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For you, or for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity 
as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. See, Peter has addressed the followers of Jesus as these living stones. But then he reveals to us another group of people. And he says it's the people who have rejected Jesus. They've rejected the cornerstone of their life. And he says those who have rejected Jesus actually have a different outcome than the ones who accept Jesus as the cornerstone. He says their outcome is that instead of Jesus being the strong foundation for their life, he's actually a thing that's going to make them stumble. Day after day, their house is going to be unstable. And they will actually have an impossible time trying to figure out how to live this life. They're going to have no direction. I think about the fact of people that I've known who don't know Christ. They go through life and they're not exactly sure what the point of life is. They may have some things that they've just kind of said, oh yeah, like, this is what the point of life is for me. But they don't truly know what the future holds for them. And so they live each day in the moment, but they don't know or have any joy of what the future holds for them. And all of this, as Peter says, comes out of them not obeying God's word. But then again, Peter addresses the followers of Christ. And he says that while they reject Jesus, these other people, you have actually accepted Jesus. You're not like them. Rather, you are these chosen people of God because they have desired to follow after Jesus. So then, there, so then is there the result? Of, what is the result of following Jesus? Why, why should we be different? Because Peter says, one, you can show the goodness of God to the world. But then, two, your life can also be a reflection of being built on this solid rock. That actually you have an identity that's strong in God. And no longer do you live this life like living in the dark. I love this kind of idea of it. Like when I go into a room that I'm not familiar with, and, and all of a sudden I flip the lights off and I have no clue what's in that room. Pretty quickly I may start walking through that room and starting to stumble over things because I just didn't know it was there. But then, if I go back and I flip the light on, all of a sudden it's so much easier for me to navigate to different parts of the room. In the same way, when you don't know Christ, you're living life as if in the dark. You're not sure what the point of life is. You're not sure what your direction in life is. But then, when you come to know who Christ is, it's like he flips the light on. All of a sudden, now you have a direction. You have a purpose. You have an identity that's firm. And you are able to live life in a completely different way than before. I've, uh, I've had some fun doing this before. I don't know if you've ever done it, but I've asked Suri, what, what is the point of life? And I love it because she gives me different answers every single time. And she'll give me like a whole biography on what the purpose of life is. But then I'll also go ahead and I'll, I'll ask other people. I'll say, hey, what, what's the purpose of life for you? And you know what the answer often is? To be happy. I want to be happy. 
And that makes me sad when I hear that because the reality is that happiness is based on a circumstance, whereas joy is based on a reality in the future. And I love the fact that for me, when I get asked, hey, what's your purpose in life? I can say to live for Jesus and then to experience life after this with Jesus. That's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. That's why we're different, because we're given this hope. So then how, how do you live life differently when you know that you're chosen by God? You have this new identity. How could your life look different if you accepted Jesus as your cornerstone? And then leading into the third question here, how can you actually be this light? Because Peter says for us, you are a light. Take a look with me at verse 11. It says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. See, the last thing that Peter shows us here and what we're going to see is a warning to the followers of Jesus. Just like the idea of the builder where he can start out with a perfect foundation, he can also start to make poor decisions as he continues on in the building process. He could buy not the best products and they could start to fall apart. And in the same way, in our lives, we can come to know who Christ is, have him as the cornerstone of our lives, but start to add things into our lives that don't look like Christ at all, that start to make us look more like the world and less like Jesus. And so Peter understands this, and he wants to help the believers and warn them to run from worldly desires, to run away from their old lives that they used to live. And so he doesn't exactly lay out right here what those things look like, but if we jump back to verse 1, and we talked about this last week, he does list out a few of these things. He says, run away from lying. Run away from saying one thing and then doing another thing, hypocrisy. Run away from being jealous of what other people have and you don't have. Run away from using foul language and then the list goes on and on as you look through different passages of Scripture. And so he's laying out these things of saying, run, get away, don't stay in that place. And more also, then he says to live lives that are godly around people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because he says, one, they may accuse you of doing wrong, but when they see your honorable life, they'll realize that they have nothing bad to say about you. And then two, and I think this is the most important one, God is going to get the highest praise. That the way in which you live your life in a godly way brings God the highest praise. Last year, probably not quite, well, it was roughly around this time, we had a men's conference here, and... I went through the different sessions listening to the different speakers. And something that I continued to hear from them was living pure and courageous lives. 
And that really stuck with me as I listened to that because I thought about this idea that you are a light to the world. And I'm like, the best way to be a light for Jesus is to live this pure and courageous life, to be countercultural, to live in such a way that shines Jesus to the world. And for me, I walked away from that moment excited about, man, I can be this light for Jesus in every circumstance that I'm in, in every situation that God gives me. So the question is, now what? How do we take 1 Peter and we put it into our lives so that then we can go out and be these lights to the world? I think the first can start with a question. How does your life look different because of Christ being your cornerstone? That's a great starting point because we can start to identify, okay, this is who I used to be and this is who I am now. And then it gives us a point at which we can go, this is where I can continue to go. So how does your life look different? And then here's an exercise that I have for all of you this week. Uh, to Once a day or more than once a day, just say the phrase, I am chosen and loved by God. And the reason I say that is because the reality is there are many people in this world who are living life not feeling loved, that don't feel like they are chosen, that don't feel like they have an identity. And so they're going through life not knowing who they are, not knowing if they're loved. And yet, I think that this statement is a powerful statement for each and every one of us that knows Christ because we are chosen, we are loved, and we have a purpose for life. And I think that is an amazing and powerful thing for us to be reminded of. And then thirdly, in being this light, what sin or sins do we need to remove from our lives so that we can look more like Jesus? You know, in conclusion of my story of going up Church Mountain, I was on the switchbacks. And in the, that moment, I was like, man, I don't know if I really want to finish this. This does not feel worth it. But then I got through the final 18th switchback. We started to do this last little scramble up to the top of this cliff. And then I looked out. And this was the view. And this is me looking out and seeing this view. And suddenly, all the pain, all the hardship of that hike became worth it. Because all of a sudden, my breath was taken away and I got to survey the landscape and go, wow, look at what God has created. And that was a powerful moment for me because I realized in that moment that though I had to go through hardship in that moment, the end result was so worth it. And in the same way, I tell you this story today because we are called to live differently than this world. And honestly, it's probably going to come with hardship. There will be moments of persecution. There will be suffering in this life. But the power of that is that we actually have something to look forward to in the future that is so worth it, that makes all the hardship that we face in this life so worth it. Because one day we get to stand with Jesus face to face. We get to see 
the broken world that we live in made new. And we get to see this wonderful life that Jesus has been preparing for us. And so Peter offers the encouragement of staying strong, having faith no matter what, because he's looking forward and he sees the end result. And so he says, stay strong, don't give up. Let me go ahead and I want to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Peter's words here of Christ being the cornerstone. God, I ask that as we go out of this place today, that we would have the understanding that we have a firm foundation, that we have this new identity in you, and that we are then able to be this light to a generation that's hurting. And so, God, I ask that you would empower each and every one of my brothers and sisters here to be able to go out, to know how they can transform their lives into looking like you and then to being able to share you with the world around them. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Peter. I thank you for today. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.